Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most, to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristan Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and am a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is Growing Bold with Technology. And our guest is Rowan O'Reilly, who is the founder of Smart Bodies, Smarter Minds, Australia's first integrated virtual reality neuro rehabilitation clinic. In this episode, we'll hear how Rowan is thinking outside the box and using technologies once only used by gamers to help people with brain injuries, strokes, and spinal cord injuries. Ro, welcome to Grow Bowl with Disability. Thank you very much. Good morning, gentlemen. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming along. So, I mean, Ro, you opened Smart Bodies, Smarter Minds Clinic in 2009. Can you explain to us what it's all about? Well, can I give you a bit of an update first? Um, to, uh, that, that is yeah, correct. That uh, Smart Bodies, uh, that story ended at uh, the end of last year and a new story begun which, uh, based on the foundations that I um, put together during that 10-year journey. So it's, it's even more exciting now. But, yes, uh, it did start in roughly 2009. And so, what what was the the mission behind that? What what was the uh, the why did you feel it was necessary to begin the clinic? Uh, look, the issue was to me always that look, I, I was always interested personally. I'm a high kinesthetic, so it means I love to move, you know. Uh, and I was always always interested in well, how do you improve um, human performance um, in a smart type of way because you know there, there are two ways to do everything obviously there is there's just sheer there's sheer effort and there's made and there's leverage and I thought well surely you know at this point in time there may be better ways to do this than what what it appear what appears to be happening what has happened for a long time and it really was the initial goal was just, it was about improving improving human performance basically to condense a very long story what happened was that I started to realize that you know although the majority effort was pointed towards physical inputs to produce physical, increase physical outputs. That the reality of the story was that physicality is is not controlled uh, by our body. It's controlled by our mind and our central nervous system. And and uh, on top of that is really how how we feel, our emotional intelligence and our ability to focus our mind. So I suppose that's what started me th- thinking about. Well, you know, if that's the case, and it appeared that not that obvious that it, obvious that it was, then then how do we go about collecting data uh, to actually prove that that is the case? And then, then how do we how can we use that data to actually uh, create better ways of improving performance? So really, um, that's that's what started the whole thing back then. And so then where did the idea for the virtual reality technology come about? Well, back then, VR wasn't really you know, an issue. It, it, had, look, it had started its development in, in, in about the 1960s. And I actually have uh, you know, a friend who was uh, around, I think it was uh, maybe Princeton at the time when they, were, when they were working on the very first versions of VR. And they used to call it basically was equivalent to the vomit comet because nobody could stand it for more than a couple of minutes. The optics <laughs> were so and interestingly, I, I, I showed him a commercialized version of it a couple of years ago, and he hadn't seen it since back then. And he was just drawing the ground. He couldn't believe how different it was. That was 
that was a pretty amazing thing. But look, I think it wasn't actually that I was looking for VR. It was it was understanding and coming back to that point that human physicality is grossly controlled by the nervous system and and you know obviously the mind is a key part of that. And there's two parts to our um, consciousness, and that would be the the alert awakening part and the other. And the other, uh, you know, for most people, plays a much greater role in how we uh, how how we um, exhibit ourselves in in daily life in terms of what we do and why we do it. So that what I was trying to look into is, well, it'll be great if there was a way where we can more uh, effectively connect with the subconscious mind, you know, because a lot of us sports people at the top ends were using hypnotherapy, for example, for, for, for long periods of times to various degrees of success. The problem with hypnotherapy is only about half the population is susceptible to it in most cases. You know, and the people it works well for, it works very well for, and the other people it does nothing. So the, the issue was I was actually looking for that type of input. And then, you know, I was hearing murmurings about VR, um, you know, uh, for, for quite a while, but it was nowhere near. Uh, commercially ready yet but I, I just sort of realized well hang on a second our brains because of the visual part of our brains represents such a massive part of our um, um, neural infrastructure uh, it basically dawned on me that hey hang on a second human beings basically believe what they see mm-hmm. and um, if you could convince the the brain to the great extent that what it was seeing was real, that would probably be a very good way to act on a more subconscious or older um, brain pathways. And and that's really when I came to that sort of conclusion, I sort of thought, well, hang on, this is where, where VR really could be a fantastic new tool. So that's actually how VR came into it. Brilliant. And what's the feedback been from your patients? Oh, look, the, the, the truth is that VR worked better than what I hoped. And that's a really cool thing because first-generation technologies, and I've been involved in a lot of them and presently still are, I mean, you know, some of them are really fantastic but some of them are just, you know, brilliant in, in theory, um, woeful in, in, in practical execution. VR uh, luckily has been close to flawless, uh, which has been very, very good. Uh, and I think, you know, in, in terms of using it in rehabilitation, Compared to standardized rehabilitation, which can produce a lot of good results, but there's finite limits to maintaining engagement. And engagement is a really big thing in, in rehab. It's, it's huge. It's, it's probably 50% of the whole game, in, in, in my, my opinion. And when you're trying to keep people exerting or, or putting focus and energy into a particular set of rehabilitation movement patterns, um, trying to keep the level uh, of enthusiasm up um, normally is, is really problematic over a prolonged period of time. VR does a magnificent job uh, of making that so much easier because fundamentally what we do is um, we go to great lengths to find out what people are really into and then try and find VR environments to match that so that they just naturally subconsciously are already really associated to the environment they're in. So you're ahead of the ball game in the first place, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it breaks down the monotony, really, doesn't it? It just gives them something a little bit more exciting to do than just sitting there and moving their legs up and down, I guess. Yes, yeah, true. So true. It's so true. Yeah, like it was interesting when you realize that, you know, 
um, e even in 2020, the, the, the overwhelming majority of failures in, in rehabilitation therapy over, over a period of time are due to engagement, not therapy being not technically correct. So what's been the feedback from more traditional um, practitioners in this um, industry? Oh, I, th I think like every technology, you know, you, you have people who can see why that would be a good idea and others just can't connect with it. You know, I, I can't say that I don't know what people, <laughs> I don't know what people say behind, about it behind closed doors, but like the people that had involved have, you know, have very quickly uh, seen the obvious um, uh, capability of it and to improve, to improve outcomes through, through a number of ways. And so overall, I think it's, and very positive. I think, in, in, you know, it, it would appear to me that, look, this is the way of the future. And you just spoke there about achieving positive outcomes. Um, the results speak for themselves. What what are some of the results that you've seen with stroke, spinal injury, brain injuries? Well, again, most of the clients uh, that, well, basically all of the clients that we deal with have essentially um, been through the gamut of conventional therapies and they've been able to help them extensively in most in most cases but then particularly if you say looking at um brain injuries um, people get can get really fantastic uh acceleration in the early days and then they plateau mm -hmm. and the problematic thing becomes um well what do you do about the plateau when the set of prescribed inputs or movements uh for that don't have any other options um that's really problematic and it's problematic again from from a point, from an emotional, mental point of view, as well as it is from a physical point of view. So, um, people have been stoked uh, with the ability to keep um, changing the environments, and I think probably succinctly putting it, a lot of what we're trying to do is create a state of heightened neuroplasticity, and that just simply means to create new pathways, new connections in the brain, because those connections in the brain ultimately things that um, create functional movements in the body. And so you can do things in VR. You can do things in VR that you can't do in, in reality. So, for example, you know, you couldn't have someone climbing Mount Everest in your in initial um, in rehab clinic. Um, you can't have people fighting zombies, you know, and, and things like climbing skyscrapers. You know, and that's, that's a brilliant thing to watch, you know. It's a brilliant thing to see people really, you know, enjoying their rehab and walking out you know, happier, you know, in a better state than what they will be in. You know, that's a really beautiful thing to be part of. Yeah, it's incredible. And I was watching um, a little thing on YouTube that you did with the ABC and Angus McConnell, who's a friend of the show here, um, and he stood up, paraplegic. Now, he stood up using a lot of this rehab and so forth, which is quite incredible. Do you think Gus could have got to that stage using traditional methods or would it take him longer or was it just this whole as you say this, you're breaking that monotony so he, he keeps telling me how he always loved going to see you he wanted to go there and use the vr equipment as opposed to just going to a gym and well, attempting to move angus mcconnell is a legend for a start so that helps um, <laughs> <laughs> uh the, the 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 simple answer is i don't know um i would be I, i'd be um speculating uh, to say because you know in order to, to know that you would have to done regular um, scans, you know, uh, on, his, on his spinal cord uh, and his grey matter to actually see uh, whether changes happen. Now, I, I can speculate that, I, you know, I, I certainly had always had a deliberate plan for Angus, 
and it was based around what seemed to be a plausible hypothesis to me to to encourage him to have um, uh, some recovery of movement. Um, but again, I, I don't I, I don't I don't want to be able to I don't want to say things that I that I can't back up with hard mm -hmm. facts. But you know, my my personal opinion would be after like you know uh, many decades in in, this, in the rehabilitation field that it certainly accelerated things along. Um, yeah, and I think that again, taking into account that where I was when I was working with Angus initially and where I am now, very different. It's been an exponential learning path. And VR, for example, is still only in, it's only just hit its first, second generation tech now. I mean, you know, what's, what's ahead is going to be vastly different than what it is here. And therefore, the ability to convince the brain of what it's experiencing is real is going to be vastly different. And that is the, the key salient thing to understand. Mm. Absolutely. I'm a power chair user myself and I know that when I was a kid, I was loath to do my rehab and stretches and all that sort of thing. Um, is the VR used um, a lot for kids as well or do you primarily see adults and um, what's the sort of demographic spread? So it, it's reasonably broad, but I'd say the main difference is, is that um, we're generally kids, you know, uh, that we use it. it it's more for um, uh, behavioural issues. Uh, so, so for here's a classic uh, scenario. Then you, you have a, a kid who, who uh, basically ends up in some trouble because he becomes a chronic gamer. And with chronic gaming, you know, you're basically developing a hypersedentary um, life. And then you know, your nutrition and your movement and your interactions all seem to uh, take a somewhat downward trend because you're looking for this. Uh, in effect, a uh, hit, you know, a reward infrastructure hit out of engaging with the game. Um, the problematic thing is the more you, you saturate or, uh, any type of reward system in the brain, the harder it becomes to hit the trigger. So, you know, um, the reality of that scenario is you're getting, uh, we get approached by mums often distraught that they just simply can't get that child to do anything and they've tried, psychologists, psychiatrists, everything. And it's fundamentally because you're trying to you're trying to say to to that to that kid is that look you should do you should get outside and you should exercise and you should eat well um, because it is good for you. But that's just that's bypassing uh, you know the the important structure of the brain where it's supposed to be because the behaviour is not coming from the part you're having a conversation with; it's coming from the subconscious mind which just wants a hit. So you know the alternate to that that we would provide is say you know. <laughs> And it's generally relatively funny that when you get um, kids and parents in and we're doing their first assessment, you're effectively having a conversation with the parents of the kids just looking around wishing you were somewhere else because <laughs> yeah, you've been dragged to us. You've already been through this scenario multiple times before and you sort of uh, – uh, the, the interesting point of it is, and I can tell Bill, uh, we soon say to them again, you know, uh, so, you know, um, how are you doing? Huh? Grunts are generally the order of the day. Um, man, I, I, I hear that you're into gaming. It's like, huh? And uh, uh, what type of gaming are you into? And he, he'll mention a number of games. And I'm not a gamer, by the way, at all. I'd rather be at the beach. Um, but um, essentially you say to them, okay, so you're into first-person uh, shooter games, and most of them are, and essentially means you're in a game and you have a gun and you're shooting zombies or, or whatever. And they'll say, mm, yeah. And I'll say, well, have you heard of VR? And they go, yeah. And um, then 
uh, he said, well, you know, how would you like to, you know, uh, give a try some shooting some uh, zombies in, in VR uh, or driving a tank in VR and, and, and shooting other tanks? And then all of a sudden, oh, attention on. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah look, and, and then the, you put him into it and their parents are like thinking, oh, my, you can see him crossing their fingers and toes going, oh, please let this work. And we have, uh, we have like a, a several what are called VR locomotion systems where, where you have to put physical energy into a mm-hmm. device to dictate your experience. So, nice. for example, we have a, what looks like a exercise bike. But it's actually fully integrated with VR. So, for example, you have a, we have an, an environment where you're driving a tank. Right? So, so as you be the tank commander and you're in, in a field with obstacles and there are other tanks trying to get you. But in order for you to integrate, you, you, you have to push the pedals, right? And the pedals, we set the resistance up hard so it would feel like you're grinding a tank. Mm-hmm. And it's got like head-up aiming and you, so you need spatial awareness, which means you need to be alert. And you need to be pedaling. So you'll go from a kid who won't even walk around the block to a kid who's been in, you know, pedaling his heart out for half an hour, come out in the drenched in sweat with eyeballs, you know, eyeballs the size of saucers and smiling. <laughs> and the parents are just like, oh my God. <laughs> so that's, that's what's beautiful about it, you know, because you're not forcing anyone to do anything. You're simply saying, here's something that we think you might like, um, you know, and, and, and they, it's self-guided interaction. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's what's so, that's what's so cool about it. Yeah, and then then you know we can well, then we can you know, attach you know different types of technologies or biometric um, data technologies and find out exactly what it's doing to them. Incredible! It's just yeah, it's, it's tricking them into it. It's great. Now you meant, we mentioned at the start smart bodies, smarter minds, and you said that's kind of all wrapped up at the um, end of last year. What's the new project? Are you allowed to talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. It's really exciting. So the new project's called Engage uh, VR Rehab. So this one's um, much more a collaboration. Um, so we have some have some um, partners who are basically well, very well respected in the allied health field. And essentially, what it is is it, um, taking the best elements out of um, conventional allied health practices for rehabilitation across body and mind, and they're combining them with what uh, I've uh, what I've been working on and developing over the last ten years of this technology. And, um, and data, biometric data acquisition model. And, and because <clears throat> that sounds dull, but why, why it's so completely relevant is that, say, for example, you've had a serious injury, you know, and, and you may be faced with a very prolonged uh, rehabilitation journey. The, the, the thing is that, you know, again, what you want is to be sure that all of that consistent effort that you have to put in time, money, heartache, is actually doing what you want it to do okay so what happens traditionally now uh, is that you essentially have a combination of what are called uh, subjective and objective measures and that subjective is well how do you feel about it you know and well you know it's doing well an objective will be okay can you actually move your arm or your legs more okay and so whether that happens or not in a time frame that you want it to, is a very different thing. For most people, it can never happen soon enough, and that's completely obvious um, why that would be the case. But what we're moving to is um, uh, a position where we can interact with people uh, in our clinic and, and set them up with a series of stimulations. So it might be VR, it might be locomotion, uh, might be combined with electrical stimulation, either on their brain or, or on their body. And then we can attach sensors to that that are basically um, connected up in a way 
that shows exactly what it's doing to the person. So, for example, if we're trying to create more movement uh, in a leg, we want to see that the part on the brain that's responsible for moving that leg or sending, creating the signals uh, to, to output that movement is actually being stimulated. Mm-hmm. Right. And yep. and that can be done on a real time basis. So mm-hmm. so that every session and during the course of the session, you have someone like air traffic controls looking at your data and going, um, you might want to pedal just a little bit harder there or just turn to the left a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, because you know, we know we're seeing oh, that light is on now, mm-hmm. you're hitting the target. And, and then we're collecting all of this, this information in, in files and then we can show you exactly what your efforts doing. Then we can share that also with your um whoever's referred you, whether your GP or specialist or your allied health team, to say, here's, here's, here's where they are and here's what, what's happening. Fantastic. That's really cool. That's the coolest yeah. thing about it. Yeah, incredible. And so in terms of you, you mentioned there where VR is going, um, do you think that we'll get more widespread adoption of it? Are we, are we getting to the point where um, more practitioners will take this on? Because as we've said so many times, the results are amazing. Well, put it this way, um, you know, at the moment, um, VR is used, used, um, being used to train um, ten, uh, tens of thousands of healthcare workers to upskill them. Mm. So you're seeing different, you're starting to see uh, either circumstances uh, uh, dictating a, a method for um, more lifelike training uh, of people in, in generally in situations where it's just not plausible to. Um, do all of that physically. So what I think is one of going to be things that's going to dictate uh, its 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 progression more into allied health is training. Uh, and, and so so you would have essentially like a model. I think you move from a model where you have two: you have theory and practice. To you have a theory, you have VR, and you have practice. Mm. And and the beautiful thing about that is that um, uh, I'm also in, in, involved with another medical technology company. Um, uh, which are founded a couple of years ago, uh, and and basically what we're doing is um, working on technology to basically enhance the sensory uh, and motor uh, function of people who have had um, strokes or brain injuries and don't have hand or arm function. The 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 relevance of that um, story is that the technology we're delivering is taking it to the next level about how VR can allow you to interact. Um, uh, on, on a deeper on a deeper level of immersion, and immersion just means your brain believes more. So VR now you can see it, right? And okay, and what I'm, as we mentioned before, your brain greatly greatly believes what you can see. But if you can do things like feel in in, in VR as well, that's ah, a completely yes. different level. I mean, it's, mm. And that's what that's what it's moving to. That's what I mean when VR is going to move to. It's going to move to a point where you can have multi-sensory, where you could feel. You could smell. You can. You could be able to have. Um, you know, um, a resistance. You could have hot and cold. Um, oh yeah, that, that's where it's going, and that'll be the thing that'll make it. Uh, I, I think an indispensable tool mm. in, in in health. Incredible. Now, Ro, if I'm listening to this podcast and I wanted to get in contact with you guys, or if I wanted to, you know, use some of this, uh, think that this stuff could work for me. What's the easiest way? Is there other people around Australia? Because you're based in Newcastle. Where is there other people in Australia, or is it just you working in this? No, no. So we have a team based at um, um, Mayfield, and in our engage VR rehab clinic. And so um, that clinic is a pilot clinic, 
And uh, so we basically have expand, uh, we have firmly made plans to um, be able to expand that clinic model into other capital cities. And, uh, and um, it looks highly likely it's going to go offshore as well. Because again, the idea is, is, is in healthcare is healthcare is moving more and more towards a data-based outcome. Mm-hmm. Because people you know, want proof. Yep. And the people who pay for healthcare want proof as well. And, and so you combine the fact where you've got this completely different experience of rehab for the per, for the client and then on the other hand you have the proof of it that that's really the, the the secret source of it yeah exactly uh Ro, as you're aware this podcast is called grow bold with disability and we like to ask all our guests what does growing bold mean to you well i think growing bold to me means basically you, you've got to you got to have everyone's got their limit their personal uh you know safety limit for lack of Better words when it comes to emotional stuff. I think in order to to grow bold, what you need to do is is grow larger, and the only way you can do that is to push that boundary. And I think that ultimately means being more comfortable, being in a place where you're not comfortable. You know, I think that's the only way you can truly make uh, significant advances in your life. Beautiful. Now, Ro, thanks so much for joining us today on Grow Bold with Disability, brought to you by Ferros Care. And our listeners can find out a lot more about Ro's amazing work in the links provided in today's episode show notes. Ro O'Reilly, thanks for joining us today, mate. It's a great honor. Thank you so much. I love your great work. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Grow Bold with Disability. And if you like what you heard, then please take a few moments to pop over to iTunes and give our podcast a quick rating so we can continue these conversations and encourage people to grow bold. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold and for over 25 years, Ferris has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.